that y'all feel like you're at mass this morning, standing and sitting. And st- <laughs> Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, But we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Lord, we have some wonderful things as a result of being justified by faith. Some incredible benefits. And so God, this morning, help us to take this passage and apply it to our lives. What you have given us based on that theological, biblical truth of justification. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. You may be seated. Justification by faith. I think that's probably on any orthodox church doctrinal statement. It's something that we just accept as biblically sound. It's in a lot of the creedal statements, confessionals, but in churches and in our lives, it can become just sort of rote memory for us or something that we just sort of take for granted. But when you really start to meditate on it, justification by faith is the only way we can live the Christian life with assurance and with boldness. It is so foundational. It's everything that we stand on. Christianity is so unique in this aspect that it's not meritorious work. But I want you just to to think about it this morning. If it was any other way that God would justify us, we would always wonder. We would always question about our assurance. We would also wonder about any boldness that we could enter into God's presence. Paul devoted four chapters of doctrinal teaching about man's absolute 
definitive need to be justified by faith alone. That's how important this biblical truth is. He didn't rush into it. And it's not until we get to chapter 5 till we realize the benefits of being justified by faith. Hopefully this morning, you've been coming to the teachings through the book of Romans, and if I ask some of you this morning, what is the basis for justification by faith, you'd be able to give me a reasonable biblical answer. Um, you might not quote verses or know exactly how to to put it in the right um, vernacular, but I think we have an understanding of why Paul has laid this foundation for us. As we think back, it started to get doctrinal in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 1, where he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation, unto everyone who believes. That's the power of the gospel. Salvation, by believing. To the Jew first, and also to the Greek. And then verse 17, For herein is the righteousness of God revealed. The righteousness of God, that little phrase means the righteousness that God imputes. The righteousness that God expects. For the righteousness of God herein in the gospel. That's the righteousness that God gives you and I through faith. For the Christian life is lived from faith. The initial believing in Jesus. And it's walked out and lived out through faith. From faith unto faith. For the justified people, those who God declares righteous, they live by their faith. It's not a one-time event. We live by the same faith that regenerates us, the same grace that saves us. We now have access into that grace wherein we presently and past and futurely will stand. If we look at chapter 2, we know that we are without any excuse when we try to justify ourselves because you and I intuitively know right from wrong. God has written it on the conscience of every human being, the difference between right and wrong. Every human being knows that he has been wronged by somebody and he judges that action as wrong and Paul writes in Romans chapter 2 and verse 1, immediately when we do that, we condemn ourselves because one, we are acknowledging we know right from wrong and secondly, we have done that very thing. If not in action, we've done it in principle. So justification has to be by faith. We are also without excuse when we suppress the righteousness of God because God has manifested in us through the creation. His majesty, His wonder, His power. So mankind is without excuse. And the only way that we can stand before God is by justification by faith. Chapter 3, Paul lays out beautifully how indebted we are. None righteous. 
No, not one. Nobody seeks after God. Our mouths are open sepulchers. That doesn't sound too good, does it? <laughs> A tic-tac ain't going to fix that. <laughs> that is who we are. And then he gets to chapter 4, and he gives us the wonderful patriarch Abraham. Abraham had only one thing to cling to. It wasn't his own productivity. It wasn't the Sarah's womb that was fertile. No, he had the promises of God alone. Abraham was imputed with righteousness when he looked into the heavens and saw the stars and God said, this is what your seed is going to be. Abraham didn't do anything other than to trust, to put his faith, and to believe the promise of God. That doesn't mean that he was perfect. Didn't mean that he made mistakes, fibbed about his wife being his sister. That was a white lie, right? It's a lie anyway, right? He tried to come up with another plan through his heir. To be his heir was a slave child born in his house, and God said, that's not going to be who it is. And then he tried to have a child with Hagar, and God said, that is not the heir. What did Abraham learn? What did he experience? Abraham learned that if he was justified by anything he did, he had bragging rights. And God owed him something. But God said to Abraham, this is my covenant that I will make with you and your seed. It was a promise by God. And Abraham was justified 14 years before he was ever circumcised. So it's got nothing to do with religiosity. It has nothing to do with ceremonies. It is all because God had justified him by faith. And it wasn't that Abraham kept the law. Because the law was 500 years later. So you and I cannot possibly be justified by trying to keep God's moral law. And so he gets to chapter 5 and he uses the word therefore. Because Paul has laid it out so crystal clear for you and I that the only way I can have a relationship with God is by faith in His finished and complete work. If justification, listen please, if justification came any other way than faith, any other way, none of the benefits could be confidently affirmed. I would never know if I had peace with God if I had 1% responsibility to save myself. The minute you put any leaven in it, you have corrupted the whole batch of dough. And so Paul says, I want you to have complete confidence that you have peace with God. If I had to do one meritorious thing, even if I did that one meritorious thing, I would probably do it with the wrong motives and God would judge the secret of my heart. I remember being the pastor of a church in Georgia. <laughs> Bad memories. <laughs> but anyway, I'm not going to go there. But I had to do everything in this little church. And so... On a Saturday afternoon, I was trying to get my sermon together, and I looked at the lawn of the church, and it was looked like, like a hayfield. I mean, 
I didn't know if the light, riding lawnmower was going to get it through or not. I, you could you could have bailed hay when I got done mowing that. <laughs> and I got on that lawnmower, and by golly, I was patting myself on the back, and I thought I was so righteous. I do everything in this church. And I got off that, and I said, well, Lord, you weren't too pleased with that mowing, were you? I thought of that old, beautiful Christian hymn, Lord keeps me singing even as I go. And I said, Lord, you didn't keep me singing even as I mow. But anyway, <laughs> I can't, you, we try to have trouble doing even good things with the right motives. And so if justification, I would have no idea that I could walk into the very throne room of God if it had anything to do with me. When I was reading this passage, all I kept thinking about was that temple veil when Jesus cried out and said, It is finished. Peace, access, rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. It was all done on Calvary. What a wonderful, wonderful salvation that we have. So our first benefit that I want to talk about this morning, I'm only going to talk about two benefits, so it's you should be able to follow. I'm not the easiest person to follow because I chase a lot of rabbits around. But anyway, the first benefit of justification by faith alone is an open relationship with God. You and I have an open relationship. An open relationship. It is ongoing. I want to just kind of go back and not redefine, but give again the definition of justification just so we understand what this means. Justification, justification is not ignoring sin. It is not infusing the believer with moral excellence. We don't have that. It will result in living a righteous life. He who practices righteousness is righteousness just as he is righteous. But that's not what justification is. It's not the promise that I'm going to live a perfected life. It may result, and in fact, it will result in godly living. But that is not justification. Nor is it that God views a sinner as if he'd never sinned. That's not it either. Because that's really just turning a blind eye to our sin. So what is it? Well, it's a Hebraic expression that means cause or to make someone right whom they have offended. This distinction means that it has nothing to do with our ethics. It has nothing to do with our virtue. But it means that you and I have been acquitted and that God has cleared us from our guilt because it's God's active on our behalf based solely on the righteousness of Jesus Christ in our place. 2 Corinthians 5.21, God has made Jesus to be sin for us, the one who knew no sin, so that we might be what? We might be the righteousness of God in Him. So that's what we have through faith, and that gives us this open relationship In Christ, God is both just and He is the justifier of those who have faith in Jesus. So God remains His integrity by justifying us. 
So God is just, and we are justified. So this open relationship means that we've got peace. I know a lot of you are married, and you know what it is like when there's not peace at home. Because there has been something in your relationship that has entered a wedge, right? So y'all know what I'm talking about when I say that peace is necessary in an open relationship. So in verse 1, we'll start out by looking at that verb, have peace. It's the present tense. It's in the mood that this is right now. And then we back it up to the phrase right before it, having been. That is something that has happened in the past. The word been tells us it's a passive. So in other words, in the past, God has done something that affects our present relationship with God right now. It's passive because you and I don't do anything. God is the one who gives us the righteousness. It has been done by Him. So having been gives me peace right now. What God has done. Notice again that it is by faith. It has to be by faith. The certainty and the insurance, the boldness that we have has to be by faith. And notice thirdly, the agent who does it is through Jesus Christ. Christ. So what is it that we have, having been justified by faith and through Jesus Christ, it is the word peace. That is what you and I presently have, and that is what gives us an open relationship with God. That variance that we had, that separation that we had, it has been torn down. Peace is only possible when reconciliation is realized. That's true of every relationship. Every vertical relationship, our relationship with God, and every horizontal relationship, our relationship with people. But with God, we have been restored. So peace, this is the biblical definition of peace. Peace is a settled conviction that I am in a deep personal relationship with God. That is one of the benefits of being justified. Having been justified, one of those benefits, I've got an open relationship. I can come before God and knowing that I am in peace with my Creator. Peace is based on facts concerning the gospel. Jesus became sin for us. When these simple truths are rightly applied, feelings will follow our facts. So peace can be a sense of security. Peace can be a sense of tranquility. Peace can be a sense of absolute composure. But those things don't come first. The facts that Christ paid my debt in full gives me peace with God. And after that brings composure. It brings security. And it brings that feeling of tranquility. You think about... The world would pay anything to have what you and I have for free. 
the ability to go to sleep at night and know that you are in a relationship with your Creator. We have peace. Why? Because we have been justified by faith. What an incredible benefit to you and I. This verse 1 ends with the phrase, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 2 picks right up on Jesus Christ, through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So let's break down that verse. What do we have access to? We have access into grace. On what basis do we have access? We have access by faith. And who is the agent again who does all of this? It is through Jesus Christ. That is absolute assurance. That is confidence. That is boldness. Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 3 and in verse 12, Through Jesus Christ we have boldness to access with confidence. So an open relationship has to have peace, but an open relationship has to have access. That's an open relationship when you can go and access that person anytime you need to. When you feel like you are welcome to come and just dump all of your cares, all of your burdens, because He cares for you and you have access. Why? Because you have been justified by faith. You have no other access to God other than that. But those are the benefits. Well, I've got peace with my Creator, and I've got access to God anytime I need Him. I think about Queen Esther. There was a sovereign who she wanted to get access to. And so she had to fast and pray for three days. And she just hoped that King Artaxerxes would hold out that scepter. And we have got a hearing. We have got an audience with the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the creator of all the universe, because we have been justified by faith. An open relationship with God. I've got peace with Him. I've got access anytime I need Him. Again, the personal agent is Jesus. Again, it is by faith alone. Access then is into grace in which we stand. Now the word grace has to be translated or um, understood in the context. Okay, So the context here defines this grace for us. It's the grace in which we stand. Now, the tense of that verb, in which we stand, is the perfect tense. So he's not referring to salvation grace here. It's referring to the grace that we need to live the Christian life. Every time you face a trial, every time you face an opposition... Every time you need a spiritual infusion, you now not only have been saved by grace. This is the idea. You are saved by grace and you don't walk and you don't fulfill and you don't finish 
get to the finish line through human effort. You were saved by grace. You stand in grace. You now have access to grace to live the Christian life. Give us more grace, Lord, because we need it. And we have access to it. It is a continual grace, and that word grace in this context means an enablement to live the Christian life. The perfect tense implies that we have been saved by grace. I'm not denying that. But we live out the Christian life not by human effort. We have access to the holy influence upon our soul that turns us to Christ when we need Him. We have the keeping grace when we feel like we have sinned. It strengthens us. It increases our faith and it increases our virtue. And so Paul goes to the next verb, and now this is unique. It's the first time in the book of Romans where this type of mood is used in the book of Romans. Paul now shifts from the mood of reality to a mood of exhorting people to join him in this exalting, exulting, not exalting, exulting. We don't use that word very much, but it's a powerful word. It means to be jubilant. It means to be ecstatic. It means to be joyful. Because we've got this open relationship with God. I've got peace with my Creator. I've got access with my Creator. I find grace for the Christian living when I need it. Now we're told to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's a third benefit of this open relationship. I know that one day I will see Jesus as He is. And everyone who has what? Has this hope in Him, purifies Himself even as He is pure. That I will be just like Him. I will be glorified. That's because of justification by faith. And the reason you and I know we will be glorified is because the grave was empty. You and I can know we will be glorified because Jesus was glorified and we've been buried with Him in the likeness of His death and we will be raised in the likeness of His resurrection. And that's all because we have been justified by faith. That complete open relationship. Now, point number two. We have an open relationship. The second thing that we can rejoice in is that we can rejoice no matter what circumstances we faced. No matter what it is. When I was trying to come up with a title of the sermon, I kicked this one out. I didn't like it. But Tracy was asking me yesterday, what, what are you going to talk about? And she says, she wanted to give me give it to her in one word. I said, okay, I'll give you one word, when. She goes, what? I said, when. But I'll say it twice. Win, win. <laughs> Does that make sense? No. What I mean by is the Christian life is always a win-win proposition. Paul said this. He says, if the Roman government kills me, that's a win. I get to be with Jesus. If they don't kill me, that's a win. I get to be here and be a blessing to other people. Christianity is always a win-win you might be going through a struggle right now and you say, well, pastor, how is that going to be a win? God is going to do something in your life 
supernatural through that struggle, through that trial, through that tribulation, that you would have never gotten any other way. And so you can rejoice in it. James said this in James chapter 1, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, old King James, that's the way I memorize stuff, diverse testings, probably better to say trials, diverse testing, knowing this, knowing that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have its perfect work or perfecting work in you so that you might be entire. That means whole, well-rounded, lacking absolutely nothing. For he who lacks wisdom during that trial, you'll get wisdom. Ask of God and God gives liberally and he upbraideth not and it shall be given. But let him ask in faith nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is just like a wave of the sea tossed with the wind. Let not that man think he'll receive anything from the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. That's what tribulation does. It puts you through the pressure. It puts you through the ringer, literally. The word tribulation, the Greek word, was used in Greek literature for a press that you would put olives in. And that press would bring out the valuable and precious oil, and there was no other way of getting it without putting it in the press. Well, God knows the same thing for you and I. They are necessary. Tribulations mold us, but tribulations don't define us, nor do they defeat us. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, and he said this, We are troubled on every side, Yet we are not distressed. We are perplexed, but we're not in despair. We are persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. Spiritual development comes through tribulation. And so a benefit of being justified by faith, when God hits us with tribulation, we can rejoice, we can exult, we can be jubilant. Rejoicing, let's look at, at the, the word order. So it is followed by a participle, verse 3, and not only this, but we glory in tribulation, knowing, look at this, knowing, knowing, there's a certainty of what God is going to do. Knowing that tribulation produces patience, perseverance, the way the New King James reads it. But the word patience or perseverance is a unique word. It's a compound word in the original language. And it means to be able to abide under. So we rejoice because the effects. One of the things that tribulation forces you and I to do when we are enduring it and we're under this pressure, one of the things that it forces us to do that we probably wouldn't do otherwise, our focus is turned from our inward problem to the upward power of God. It turns us away from trusting in ourselves to trust in God. Without tribulation, the natural man would not do this. In, first, in the letter to the Corinthians, Paul is reminding them over and over and over again in that letter about his tribulations. And 
First, Second Corinthians starts out by saying the troubles that we have, God is going to use them in several ways. He's going to comfort us, and then we can comfort others by the same comfort where we, where, whereby we've been comforted of God. But where our tribulations abound, God grace superabounds and abounds to you and I. But Paul gets down to this. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant, Corinthians, church family, of the things that happened to me in Asia, especially the trouble. It's the exact same word for tribulation. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant of that, brethren, what happened to me in Asia. Now, what are some, some of the things that happened to Paul in Asia? In Asia, Paul was stoned and left for dead. In Asia, Paul experienced a riot in the city of Ephesus. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that he fought with beasts in Asia. And he says, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. In fact, I want you to know that I had the sentence of death in myself. And here was his conclusion. I had the sentence in my death in myself so that I would not trust in myself but I would trust in the living God who raised Jesus from the dead that is the beauty of tribulation it just takes your focus away from you and it puts your focus on God alone patience as I said is a compound word but it cannot be developed any other way. You think about how important patience is. I got a text message about a week and a half ago from a, a lady in the church, and she said, pray for patience. And I said, uh-oh, you're going to get some more tribulation in your life. She was already in tribulation, though, but she said, I need to produce this character trait in my life. I'm asking God to help me to stay under this pressure and not crack. Patience is invaluable to living the Christian life. It is the means by which we stay under duress and we glorify God and we don't grumble and we don't complain and instead we start thanking God for the situation. Look at the link in Paul's thinking here. So tribulation is the first link. The next link is it produces perseverance or endurance. The next link is that it produces experience. That's the old King James word. And it's actually a very good word here. But I want you to think about what experience is. I, now, many of you got teenagers coming up, right? And look at, you know, I, I think of this, the weather. Well, the snow's kind of gone this morning. But I don't like my... 18-year-old kid driving my Ram truck around in the snow because he hasn't got any experience. And that big old Ram truck, it's got no weight under that back tire. And that thing just slides all over the place. Somebody gave him a S2000 car, Honda S2K. He's got no experience driving that thing, none. The first time that he got behind the wheel... He goes down to the one block away and he hits the gas and that thing spins out and he smashes into the curb and gives himself $5,000 worth of body damage. He's not here, so I'm going to just tattle on him all of <laughs> He had no experience. You have got to go through endurance in order to get experience. 
the Greek word dokime literally means proof. And so some translations actually say proven character. Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse 4 where he says, God has approved me, approved me, Dakamazo. He has put me through this approval test so that he might entrust me with the gospel. And he says, in that manner I'm speaking. I'm speaking in the same manner that God tested me and approved me and said, I'm going to give you some experience, Paul, and now I want you to speak that way. And then he uses the same word again at the end of that verse. I'm going to preach the same way that God entrusted me because it is God who, and it's translated here, tests the heart. God proves us. And when you're going through tribulation, God is proving you. And you are developing character in your life. Godly virtues where you're no longer a complainer. You're a prayer warrior. You're a person of faith. And all those wonderful character attributes that God wants to give you because you have been justified by faith, God is now going to develop your Christian life. And then when you get through that learning lesson of experience and character, God is now going to give you hope. Hope is the spiritual development of full assurance that God is in control. When you first get that trial, when you first get that tribulation, you're thinking, God, I don't know if you're in control of this. But by the time you work it all the way through, you're enduring it. You're patient in it. You're giving thanks to God. You're exulting in it. God is giving you proven, tested character. And now your hope. Look what you're doing, God. You have changed me. I remember in my early Christian life, trials and tribulations would just throw me for a loop. I am serious. I mean, I had no experience of walking by faith. Now, my wife, on the other hand, she had a lifetime of lessons of walking by faith. I remember we got married. I thought it was up to me to provide for my wife. And it was, in a sense, but I thought I had to do it. And I remember going to her and we began to pray and she just looked at me and she says, God is going to do it. I said, I've got to do it. I was so, so ignorant. <laughs> but God put me through that trial the first year of our marriage. And God gave me a job that I thought I would never have gotten. And when I got the job, Tracy said, I told you so. <laughs> but this young lady, she grew up on the mission field. Eight miles above the Arctic Circle. No refrigeration, no running water, and she endured it. Now, she didn't always do it with a smile. On her first furlough, she came back to Fort Yukon, this little village, and there had been four feet of water in her cabin, the family's cabin. Everything that they owned had been destroyed. She wasn't rejoicing. She was standing out in the front yard cleaning all this stuff that had silt, inches of silt in it, murmuring and grumbling, and a little Indian boy. What a name, Jacob Savage. <laughs> that was his name. Came up 
and started tugging on her skirt. I said, Miss Tracy, Miss Tracy, you came back to Fort Yukon. We thought you would be gone and you wouldn't come back after the flood. God was giving this young lady some character. She started to cry. And she said, God, that's not fair. <laughs> that's what she said. You're sending this little boy to give me some character. Her mom and dad took her by the hand. They took her out to the shed. And he was, well, her dad was out there in the shed. Mom was concerned about Tracy. 18-year-old girl, above the Arctic Circle. No malls, no makeups, <laughs> no, no pedicures, none of that stuff. Cleaning dog salmon. <laughs> and she says, let's pray, Bonnie. God was giving her hope. You know what they prayed for? She probably regrets this. <laughs> they prayed that God would send her a summer friend. When you're looking at him. <laughs> Tracy was, wasn't even bowing her head. Her mom and dad were praying. She was looking across the river. Nothing but wilderness. No access into the village except for a little bush plain. Or you could canoe down the Yukon River. And she's thinking in her mind, who's going to come 5,000 miles to be this little 18-year-old girl's summer friend? 16. <laughs> we got married when we were 18. <laughs> Her parents have been justified by faith. You and I have been justified by faith. What do we have? We have peace with God, don't we? We can go into His presence any time we need to. And what can we access? We can access grace. Grace that we can stand in and live by. And we can rejoice for the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, we can rejoice in tribulations. Because we know that tribulation is producing something in us that nothing else can do. Endurance. The ability to stick through and finish something that's hard. That will give you proven character. And character will give you hope. And hope does not disgrace you. Why? Because the love of God that means God's love is being poured out into your heart. And he doesn't just use a, a teaspoon. The word pour means to gush overboard. He lavishly pours into your heart. How? How does he do that? It's through the Holy, it's supernatural. It's through the Holy Spirit which has been given to you. So those are the things this morning that we have. Those two wonderful benefits simply by being justified by faith. I'm not much of a poet, but I try to take a hand at it sometimes. My mom was really good at poetry, and I used to do a lot more. But I read something by Andrew Murray this week that inspired me to try to write a little bit of a poem. And what Andrew Murray wrote really was succinctly saying about these four links in tribulations. And so here's something that I wrote. Now, it wasn't really original with me. I can't take full credit for it. But Andrew Murray probably gets more credit than I do. 
But this is what I wrote. First, it is he who brought me here. It is by his will that I am in this strait. And in this fact, I choose to exult. Next, he will keep me here in his love and give me grace to behave as his dove. Then he will make the trial a blessing, teaching me the lessons he intends me to know and working in me his grace that he bestows. At last, his, in his good time, he will bring me out, no matter how, when, or where. Of that, I have no doubt. That's our God. That's what we have. We have access. We have peace. We have joy in tribulation. Because tribulation, we can say, God, you have brought me to this place. God, you will keep me here as long as I need to be here. God, you are going to teach me lessons in your grace that I would have known no other way. And God, I know that you're going to bring me out of this in your good time and in your good pleasure when you have perfected that work in me, which could have been perfected no other way. So let's close in prayer. Father, I thank you this morning for the simple biblical truth of justification by faith. But God is so deep, it is so rich. And because of that simple truth, this morning we know definitively God all is at rest between my and my Creator. I'm at peace with you, God. And everyone can say amen who's trusted Jesus. God, this morning, we have access to you. Not just the grace that saves us, but the grace that gives us trials and it helps us to live the Christian life. And God, this morning, I remember one of my favorite pastors used to say, Patrick, he didn't say Patrick. He says he just he preached it from the pulpit. And he said, "Either you've just been in a trial, or you're getting ready to go into a trial." And God, this morning, I don't know where anybody's at in their hearts, but you do, God. And this morning, I pray that you will help them to rejoice, to glory, to be jubilant, to exult. Knowing, God, that you are producing Christ-likeness. You are giving them hope. And this hope will never disappoint because, God, one day we will be glorified. And we will have crowns of rejoicing to lay at your feet. Thank you, God, that this is all accomplished through Jesus on the cross when we appropriate it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.